Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. My name is Aid, and I'm not sure uh, this week uh, whether we are bringing you show number 90 or show number 91. And the reason for that is because of the fantastic show we put out last week. I say we, of course, it was Rachel. Um, uh, it was no no me, no, no Graham on it. It was the second Women of Film episode. And uh, does that occupy a complete version number or is that a completely different thing? I think I'm going to ask my buddy Graham. How are you, mate? I'm doing very well, thank you, Wade. I think that the um, well, the currently named women of film, although the name is going to change, so uh, you know, don't get too attached to that name. But I think they're their own special thing. So this is definitely show uh, ninety, and yeah, it was great hearing that last week um, with uh, Maite and um, Monica um, joining Rachel. Uh, just a really lovely chat, and again, lots of great feedback from people. So if you haven't checked it out yet, please do. But I'm sure you all have because um, yeah, they're much more popular than we ever are um but no it was great and it gave us a week off and did you do anything useful with your week off aid uh what was i doing uh uh yeah probably i was so busy in my day job at work last week i i was actually somewhat pathetically grateful to get a week off from sunny 16 (laughs) so i can't say that i used it uh creatively but i did use it productively how about you well, I've actually managed to do one of my uh, favourite things, which I don't get too much chance to do. I got in the dark room and actually managed to get some developing done this week. Um, in, in an incredible break with tradition, I actually managed to develop a roll of film within the same calendar month that I shot it, which is amazing. The, the second roll of film I de- um, developed was from uh, last summer, so that's far more <laughs> on call. But um, that ties in perfectly my slow developing and my generally haphazard developing ties in perfectly with the quite amazing guests we've got. We've got no Rachel with us tonight, but um, that's because she's recovering from all of her podcasting excellentness last week. Um, but we've got an awesome guest this week, somebody who I am really excited to talk about and who will no doubt be explained to me all the various ways I'm going wrong with my developing. Um, <laughs> joining us from AG Photographic, it's Matt Wells. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. I don't know. It's no problem at all. No so, problem at all. Um, listeners in the UK will probably already be familiar or at least have heard of AG because I know that um, Aid and um, Rachel both already use you and so have talked about you on the show but for our um, non-UK resident listeners which we do allow um, we're not happy about it but we do allow it um, (laughs) could you tell us what AG is and give us a bit of the history of it please yeah so basically um uh, the first thing is the name uh, AG I chose because I wanted the business to focus on traditional photo products and as we all know traditional photo products are all uh, centered around silver and AG is of course a chemical formula for silver uh, from the, the periodic table I knew that so yeah so we so it's a with a little g um <laughs> Uh, and and that's 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 what we we sort of chose. And uh, it's, 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 yeah, a lot of people don't don't spot it. Understandably, I did have a bank manager who spotted the connection once, uh, which I thought was quite impressive. Um, <laughs> but he, I, I set the company up in two thousand and nine. I, I was involved in a completely different kind of business. Um, uh, we were importing log cabins from Lithuania. <laughs> I don't know the similarities, Matt. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, I was always interested in photography. I actually was initially was interested in in uh, small format 
filmmaking, like Super 8 and 16 millimeter, and I still am. Um, and that's how I sort of got into stills photography. And then I, my, my interest developed into darkroom work and black and white. And and I thought, you know, I, I could, I, I've got a spare office. Uh, I could, you know, we could start, we could set up a website uh, um, and, 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 uh, start selling some product and I had no idea how to build a website um, I, I, I mean I got a vague amount of technical competence but not not a huge amount and, and I started trying to teach myself Adobe Dreamweaver oh, and, uh, that takes me back and, and I get well I gave up after about two minutes and uh, <laughs> and I and and I found uh, some kind of templated sort of e-commerce <laughs> sort of solution and 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 we use that and so I started up I, I persuaded one or two um, suppliers to to to, to sell to me um despite there being some resistance <laughs> from established uh, competitors and um but they saw some faith in me and, and i persuaded them uh that the key one obviously being Harmon technology ilford and um <clears throat> their sales manager at the time colin hully who's no longer there he's, he's now with um uh, permajet uh, but um he 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 a lot to thank him for because he he saw some faith gave us the account and uh, and also the kodak distributor at the time which was a company called photologic and they were tasked with the entire distribution of kodak products in uh, well, to be strictly correct kodak professional products which includes all the film we're interested in and, and the chemistry and all the rest of it and they were tasked with the distribution of that in the uk and ireland um and uh, they they gave they they gave us an account um fuji film was a lot tougher uh, uh in fact very tough uh to, to to get in there and it took me some time in fact we didn't sell any fuji products at all initially um and eventually i pers I, I, I persuade i mean the, the the rep wouldn't even come and see me um and uh, then eventually i don't know how it worked oh that was it i remember now i i I moaned to one of the directors at Harmon who I was having a conversation with. I said, Stephen, you know, what, what is it with Fujifilm? I mean, they just can't, you know, I just can't get anywhere with them at all. And he said, look, this is just, this is just the Japanese way or the, the Fuji way or whatever. And he said, um, uh, look, take this phone number down. This is the phone number for David Honey. And he's the chief executive of Fujifilm UK um and just phone him and tell him you've been speaking to me and he'll he'll sort you out i'm sure so i phoned him i didn't get to speak to him i i got to speak to his pa and there was obviously an instruction handed out on the basis of that call to um uh, someone i can't remember his name uh anyway there was obviously an instruction a diktat to give us an account <laughs> and um I spoke to this this chat phone up. He was quite grizzly, to be honest. I don't think he really wanted to give me an account. But um, so he gave me an account. And grudgingly, gave me these prices that were pretty awful, actually. Uh, but we sort of worked with them, and we gradually. And I think that is the way it, it, you have to build up this relationship. And and gradually, we we got the prices down, and gradually, we we kind of yeah. And it took about three or four years actually to to get a, a really good trading position with with Fujifilm. Um, but now they're, they're a very important supplier um, uh, uh, to us. Anyway, so that was a sort of background. Um, the, 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 and, and I started selling in, in a spare office. And then we just gradually built it from there. And in, in 2011, 
right at the end of 2011, we moved into an industrial building with office space uh, in the Aston area of Birmingham. And we, um, we, 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 we developed that. We developed that, um, uh, the business from there. Um, and, 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 and that was that really, but what the, the most interesting thing that then occurred is that, um, I got, had the opportunity to, to buy, a lab processing business that was very well established, um, in Birmingham because the, the chap who owned it wanted to retire. And so we bought that business in, um, about October, October, 2012, and that business was called uh, Peter Gaffney's Metro Color Lab. And the business had actually been going since 1946. And uh, Peter's father had set it up in 1946. And um, he, he wanted out. He'd, he'd offered the business to various people, um, uh, including, I think, Peak Imaging, he'd approached them. Um, and I was kind of the last one. He hadn't, I don't think he'd thought of me as a natural uh a natural fit because we weren't already allowed we were we were just sold product um but we had just bought a i bought a film processor and we'd, we'd started doing some some processing but on a very small scale but that the buying that business in was 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 probably the best thing i ever did uh, although there was a you know cost investment required and and um it, peter had made some good investment not that long before he, he decided to, set, to, to to get out, but uh, and we we you know took on some of that gear, um, but obviously we had to pay for it, and and uh, the gear can be quite expensive if if you get efficient equipment that's that you know that is going to work hard for you. So, but that was definitely a, a good move, uh, and and we've we've grown that processing business quite a lot, but we've tried to make it. You know, as user friendly as possible by putting it online and and actually, to be honest, the website at the moment, the lab website, because we've got two websites, you know, could probably do with some um, some 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 modernisation, and and we are we're actually working on that at the moment. But um, it, by and large, it it gives people an easy way of ordering film processing. Um, I'd, I'd agree with that yeah. <laughs> given, yeah. g- given that uh, th- this is an interesting one for me because i i am a loyal customer of your of your lab oh that's fantastic um yeah. i don't actually uh i don't actually do any of my my developing uh developing myself yeah. but but pretty much all the film i shoot actually comes through your lab in one shape or another oh, fantastic so yes yeah, uh, that's what we like to hear yeah uh, well it's <laughs> it's um it but yeah it is it is uh yeah please don't please don't I make mean, me have the, to think about ordering this the, the <laughs> don't change no, no. <laughs> the, the thing about the, the thing about film, you know, is what I've always found over the years is that it's very rare to find a, uh, someone who's interested in photography. It's quite rare to find someone. Well, not rare, but it, it's relatively unusual to find someone who says, "I hate film. I don't want to use it." Most people like it, even if they're predominantly shooting digital. They they still like the idea of, or they like actually shooting film. The thing that stops them. Um, isn't really the cost or anything. It's actually the sort of pain in the ass factor. The fact is you do have, you know, that you have to get it processed and you have to do this, that and the other. And 
so what we always try to do is, is is make it as easy as possible so so that you know you can send it in to us without having to think about what the postage is going to cost and 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 you you know we send you a a, a prepaid mail bag back with each order um, you can order it on the on the website so if you've done it once before you probably do it again pretty quickly and 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 the, the whole process is, is is just you know it's just to try and take out the pain in the ass factor and then you can concentrate on enjoying the the the, the, the best bits of it um so but but we've also tried to make sure that we've got a really good spread of services um and that we we you know we do everything because you know so we've got obviously the three processes c41 black and white and, and critically e6 um and then of course we've got all the print services which which i really like a lot of people don't you know there's a lot of people who order prints a lot of people who don't order. some some people prefer just to have scans some people just obviously just have the film developed and then do their own scanning or printing or, or whatever um but you know it it's it, it, it's nice to have that spread of services that a lot of labs there's a lot of labs now that don't um but they don't have you know there are some of course that have the same spread of services but um there are plenty out there that will just do a sort of devon scan only um and <clears throat> you know it, it's sort of a bit of a trim down sort of service but um and then we try to expand that i mean one of the the, the things I've done since since we bought that business and in, in you know incorporated under one roof uh, with our existing business, um, one of the things I've done is is we've invested in more gear and more equipment. I, I actually love buying equipment. In fact, I have a lot of equipment mm -hmm. <laughs> I've bought. Those. Um, I get the guys who work for me I complain that it's in the way and and, uh, <laughs> and, and this kind of thing. Um, but the one of the one of the big ones was was setting up the light jet which is the 50 inch exposure engine um and, and i don't know anybody's not familiar with the light jet it is a phenomenal <laughs> it's a phenomenal printer and it, it it exposes the paper with with red green and blue gas filled lasers and and then you process the paper in a 50 inch paper processor and the whole setup takes a huge amount of space uh but the beauty of it is that you know you can make massive continuous tone uh, your wet prints and on a variety and some of the the media are available is, is is quite exotic like the fuji flex and you know it's just there's some really fantastic and and we we do have an inkjet service as well which we, which we really embarrassingly haven't really marketed um i bought this brand new canon 12 ink printer um but it's a different sort of it's a slightly different sort of market the inkjet it's it's um I, i'm not a massive fan of inkjet printing but it is very good at certain things and one of the things it's very good at actually is reproducing artworks like uh watercolors in particular it seems it does very very well at that with all the different textured papers that are available um <clears throat> but no. uh yeah so that that was that, that spread of services is something quite important to us. Matt, yeah. I'm really interested because you clearly have an incredible passion. And I love the fact that you suffer from gear acquisition syndrome on a whole <laughs> grand scale. Of like, oh, my goodness, this is what it's like when it's applied to a business. But yeah. like, in 2009, when you started this, yeah. um, that was at the very nascent stages of, uh, uh, you know, the kind of revival of. Yeah, film. It, it was. It, 
when yeah. when you started was it because you thought well i think you know this might be going somewhere or was it purely a case of this is just the thing i need to do i don't think it'll you know ever particularly go um, anywhere but it's the thing i want it, to do i tell you what it was so f- first and foremost i've always been an entrepreneur and and I, i've i've run my own, i mean i've run my own business i came straight out of university i came out straight out of university uh, with a degree in law which is kind of strange and i never went into practice as a lawyer or anything um but i i came out i finished my degree and my father died very suddenly and i had to take over his business and that was uh something i was actually had decided i was going to do anyway at some point it's just that it happened a lot sooner than i expected and uh, it was in a hell of a mess and it had all kinds of elements to it ranging from engineering supplies to commercial property (laughs) and um and so I, you know, I did various, I, I, I progressed from there without you know, boring you with the whole, that was 1997. And uh, when I got to sort of 2009, the log cabin thing, um, I won't go into the details of how I got there, but it came via a, a self-storage facility, which I owned in Coventry, uh, which <laughs> which came to a sticky end when we had a big flood, um, uh, which uh, was another story. Um and and it's i've had a sort of series of sort of picking myself up from things but i think that is true if you go hard into uh entrepreneurialism for want of a better word um you 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 know you you, thing is most businesses fail and and a lot of people forget this you know of all the businesses uh i think the statistics are uh, uh basically uh, of all the businesses that start up in the first five years 75 percent of them will fail and then in the following five years 75 percent of the remaining 25 percent will fail so if you get to five years you've actually done pretty well uh if you can get to 10 years you've done really really well um because the odds are often stacked against you but once i when i got to 2009 we're doing these we're importing these log cabins and it didn't really excite me to be honest but i was very interested in the photography and the reason I, I went into it is because I actually thought the market wasn't very well served. I could see the I could see that there was probably a growing interest. There had been a decline, um, but I'd seen and watched closely uh, what had gone on at Ilford uh, when they'd gone into administrate. You know, the, the market had contracted very rapidly in the early two thousands. So the interesting thing about Ilford, Ilford always because they only made black and white products. Ever since the advent of affordable color photography, they'd always been a declining business. And uh, they will tell you, every year uh, prior to digital, every year their business contracted by 2% in a good year and 4% in a bad year. Uh, at least those are the figures I was given. And it got to sort of 2002 or 2003, and it contracted 35%, and then another 35%. And and they just went, they, and they were scrabbling around trying to they had part of the business was in switzerland part of the business was in in cheshire and, and in the end it just it, you know it went into administration and and it's a really great story actually about how the six managers bought the business and i've said to i said to stephen briley who was one of them i said you really should write this down because it was a really cracking story um and they that there's a book if you can find it called a history of ilford 1879 to 1979 and i said you know someone should write 1979 to 
2015 because that was probably even more interesting but anyway they so i'd watched that and i'd watched how that had gone on and they bought the business and uh, i and 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 i'd watched how it had has survived uh over the next sort of two or three years and they appeared to be growing it um or, you know keeping it alive and by just focusing on 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 the analog products they just focused on on that uh was the decision after they bought the business and and i thought well you know what i'm a consumer in this industry i don't think it's very well served i I don't think i I, you know the the (laughs) i'd be careful if any of my competitors are listening but i actually didn't think it was very well served I, i thought i can do better than what's currently on offer um from the sort of established competition so i'll just have a have a crack i've got i've got this office space i've got a phone system already because we already had so i was a bit lucky in a way i had a bit of a a sort of vague infrastructure i could i could kind of utilize it was a bit weird when people first came you know i had visitors around we were upstairs above a skoda garage and it was quite a strange location but it didn't really matter, uh, to to be honest, and um, uh, it, it, I, that's the reason I, I started it because I could see there was, at least I hoped that there was there was a sort of a revival, sort of happening, and and I thought, well, I'll try and get on that and see if see if I can, you know, make a business out of it. Um, and 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 yeah that was that was it really that's how i that's how i that's the reason i sort of started it um i suppose it's one of those things with entrepreneurship is that part of it is a a lot of it is just about being in the right place and making the right choice at the right time and as you were saying about getting the um the machines to do all all the processing in 2011 because it feels like 2011 was when that ball started rolling faster and things started picking up steam and have continued to pick up steam yeah, since then. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we've got yeah. to talk about some of the stuff that you're doing about some of the nuts and bolts stuff, because yeah. um, the, especially the, the, the selling film side is great. And it's without you and the people like you, none of us have film, but it's, it's the developing people's film yeah. side that really fascinates me because yeah. boy, you're really taking people's babies into your hands and going, yeah, yeah. don't worry, we'll look I mean, that this. that's, to be honest, the side of the business that I find most interesting. Um, when we're selling product, you, you, you're, I mean, film, selling film is, the margins on film, I mean, just, <laughs> just, so, just so it's out there, the margins are really low. I mean, film is like a commodity. And, you know, I would not blame anybody for looking around and buying it at the cheapest price you can buy it for. The only word of warning I would caution at this stage is, is we processed some film for somebody the other day and <clears throat> it had uh, x-ray uh, fogging all over it. And he bought this film off an Amazon seller based in the United States and they'd shipped it to him from the United States and it was pretty, he was pretty certain um, when we identified it as x-ray damage, he was pretty certain that that package had been x-rayed, a UPS package or something, because they do x-ray these packages. Um, if you remember, there was an incident a few years ago with uh, uh, someone trying to put some explosive inside a, a printer cartridge and send it through UPS. 
and ever since then they they i think they've been more stringent and they tend and when they x-ray the x-ray machines they use to scan packages or checked baggage as well uh, as most people would know you never put film in a check, checked baggage um they're much stronger we actually had a customer who bought a load of uh at the time they bought a load of neopan 1600 off us to test the x-ray machines they made and then he sent me all of the test results and sure enough the ones they use for uh carry-on baggage are that there was no evidence of any damage at all even though with multiple uh, uh, x-rays okay can, can we just put, put a yeah. pin in that very quick because this is a thing Matt you were unknowingly stumbled into that <laughs> it comes up everywhere but it's come up on this show a lot so you yeah. had this information can we say like with a reasonable air of definitiveness that yeah. just don't worry about it just just I always put mine in time, I, I always put mine in the through it and I never have a problem uh, I went on a trip once to Hawaii um and when I got home, I worked out my film had been x-rayed seven times because it was x-rayed onto the plane in, in Heathrow. It was x-rayed, uh, I, think, I think it was even x-rayed off the plane. I mean, it, it, this just kept x-raying. Oh, sorry, <laughs> agricultural check. You're going to x-ray your film again. And I just got x-rayed, x-rayed, x-rayed. And there was no visible damage at all. Um, um, but, and in the lab, have, it, other than yeah. this one case where it's been through the, yeah. the UPS, have you ever seen anybody? Has it ever been? Oh, we've a case? had ex, we've had quite a bit of X-ray damage, but it, it generally come. We've got a really good customer. Um, up, he's based in Edinburgh called Bruce Percy, and he had some X-ray damage. Um, and he does these amazing uh, uh, workshops all over the world. And but he'd taken his film through somewhere in South America, and you do have to be a little bit careful as to where, um, you, you know, you're doing it and what kind of machine it's going through. Sometimes you'll find they'll do an agricultural check. Oh, sorry, just want to check your bag for agricultural. Have you got any, you know, how uh, you brought a turnip with you into the country? And they just happen to be using the kind of machine they would normally use to scan uh, your checked baggage. Uh, and then they're putting your hand baggage through it because they've just got it sat there. I've seen one sat in the, in a corridor in uh, I don't know where it was. It was at some American uh, airport. And yeah, so you just have to be a little bit careful. But generally speaking, if you're going through even you know, most airports in the world, certainly the bigger airport, it, it, but if you th if you think the machine looks really big, like it's capable of accepting a a, a suitcase. It, you know, if you think the machine is not your normal sort of uh, X-ray machine they would use for carry-on baggage, you know, if you think it looks big, extra big or old, then persuade them to do a hand check uh, if they will, because th <laughs> those are, I think you go. So we do, we have seen quite a bit of it over the years. Not that much. I mean, you know, we, we process just hundreds of films um, well, on a daily basis, and. Uh, we, we don't see that saying that sometimes of course there's a lot of those films we're, we're not really having a look at because they're dev only but um so yeah maybe some are slipping sometimes a customer will obviously raise it which is actually what happened with that one which had been bought in the states um he raised it he said oh do you know what these lines are because it tends to manifest itself as a sort of a banding normally it's not just an overall fogging it's a sort of a it's a sort of a, a, a uneven fogging if you know what i mean and uh, yeah it was 
yeah, it was, it was definitely X-ray, and 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 then then when the story came to light, is that where it had come from? And I'm not, you know, I'm not counting that story purely just to put people off buying from our competitors who sell on Amazon, ship from the USA. Um, as I say, we, to be honest, the, the the margins we make on film are relatively relatively small, but um, it's it, it, I'm just saying you 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 do want to be careful because there are there are there's definitely an issue there. I know. But generally, carry-on baggage uh, is fine. I have seen the other day I was going through Inverness Airport, and there was a chap in front of me going through security. I uh, had three or four rolls of film, and he asked them if they would do a hand inspection, and they very happily obliged. Yeah. So if you're worried, you can always ask. Uh, they might say no, or they might be a bit sort of grudgingly say yes. But this chap, you know, in all fairness to the Highlands and Islands Airports Authority um yeah he was more than happy to do that so yeah you know i mean i suppose you know if you can avoid it it's best to um but i don't normally bother i just stick it through uh and i've not had a problem um yeah that's it basically so um x-ray fogging i mean this is that's quite a good example actually of one of the myriad things that can mess up film both mm. before and oh and after developing um yeah. The other you... thing, I'll tell you another thing it can mess it up if you, if you want to, uh, uh, on that subject, which we, which we do see, and that is is humidity damage. And one of the ways it often occurs, if people are often religious about putting film in a fridge, and the reality is, you know, even colour reversal film, which is probably the most sensitive to, well, is the most sensitive to, you, you know, change, you know, time and changes in 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 you know to, to that kind of uh, aging uh, process um it's you don't need to be that religious about it but if you do put it in the fridge you just you do it does want to be in a sealed container because fridges have a very very high humidity because they're there you know fridges normal domestic fridges are designed to keep your lettuce fresh and that requires a humidity level and we had some the other day uh, we had a f- customer with, and it often manifests itself. 120 film is worse, uh, and I think it's to do with the paper. You get blotchy, a sort of blotchiness on the film. And, of course, the problem from our point of view is is, is if people think it's something we've done. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I wanted course, to ask about. That is a, that is a, it's a big problem. You have to be really careful because if you damage someone's film, it's I would say it, it's – basically the what the way we look at it at it at ag in the lab is we take a view that if we damage someone's film it's the equivalent of a restaurant giving someone food poisoning mm. and that's the way i look at it so um it, we have to be very careful you know you just can't do that because it, it will it just it's an absolute kiss of death to your, to your business um and so when there are there is a genuine you know fault with a film that is nothing to do with us but is you know often sometimes customers have a hard they do have a hard time believing it, it's their film that is the a fault that is the problem but the thing is all the films go through these processes at the same time so you wouldn't it'd be very odd to have one film that displayed a particular problem and then all the others are fine and and our policy is, is if anything does go wrong and 
any lab that says they've never had a mechanical problem is lying um, because occasionally they do occur. Um, it's just how you recover from them, which is important. But, you know, we just hold our hands up. That's our policy. Uh, but if it genuinely isn't us, all we can do is try and help the customer in, in not having it happen again. And as I say, we had this thing at one the other day. It was, uh, it was, it'd been in the fridge. I, it was about a year old. He'd had it for a year and he'd put it back in the fridge after exposure. It was 120 film. So it, it was totally exposed to the humidity. Uh, I mean, you could argue 35 mil is probably a bit better because it's a bit more sealed up, but. 120 um anyway it, it 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 displays this blotchiness which which is bad you see it on very old films sometimes we've processed some really old black and white films and uh, over the years um which people find in drawers or in attic space or, or whatever and you know you see it on it, but you kind of expect it on a film that's you know was exposed 40 50 years ago but uh yeah you do see it but that is something that can damage that that's something definitely to watch out for i i would be l less concerned I, you know I, I i'm not that religious about putting film in the fridge and i never really get a problem you know, it all stems back if you go back to to when all commercial phot photography was done on film um the color balance of the film was very, very critical for, for many photographers, particularly, I mean, one area was really critical. If you were a photographer photographing fashion, uh, say if you're photographing for a catalog, you needed to be sure that the colors, you know, were going to be dead on. And those kind of, those photographers shooting in those circumstances, they would use color meters and they would, you know, they'd want to know the film would be, you know, it's always refrigerated, it's come from the same batch, because very, very critical. Uh, and it was always transparency they were shooting for, because it was for print. And that, you know, it was really, really, that was very, but when you're shooting the sort of stuff people tend to shoot these days on film is, is tends to be you know, more artistic. It's not so critical. It's not as critical as it was. And so I don't think it's, you know, it's that, you know, obviously, if you've got long periods of time or if you're in a really hot climate, then it's worthwhile. But they do want to be sealed up in an airtight container so that they, they just can't, the humidity can't get at them. In fact, so, an airtight container with a desiccant bag, probably a you, desiccant, you, you know, silica gel uh, in there. As soon as I get off the phone tonight, I'm definitely going to be going to my fridge and uh, making some small adjustments. Yeah, um, I mean, most of the time you're probably all right, but it is particularly if they're sealed. But it is worth bearing in mind. It, it's yeah. That's a very good tip. I'm yeah. in, I'm really interested. So obviously with um, E6 processing and C41, yeah. that's a kind of a one size fits all. You get it doesn't yeah. matter what the C41 yeah. film is, all goes yeah. in. How do you deal with black, black and white, white processing? Because you there's so many different films, yeah. and I would imagine you are also getting in films that might not necessarily be fresh films, and no, some yeah. probably very not yeah, fresh films. You were right. just How um, do you deal with well, this? Those? Is this is the the problem that black and white poses for commercial processing? And there's two ways to go at it. Now, uh, about a year ago, um, uh, the there was a lab in. I went to see down in London uh, to look at some of their equipment um, and and they were doing a lot of kind of cheap end processing and printing. Uh, they had a huge print capacity there. I mean, just massive. Uh, he was the last and he had a continuous C41 processor. So all of the films it was like 
the old days there it was like so i actually filmed it because it was the last continuous c41 processor being in in use it's gone now it's closed down um but he was doing a bit of black and white as well and most of their business came from your high street shops people just subcontracting the processing uh to them and he did black and white but he just had a c41 machine he'd converted what he was just he well he hadn't converted he just turned the temperature down and and chucked in black and white chemistry but most of the c41 what are known as short leader machines where the film is sort of towed through the baths with a with a leader card um most of them have, are on a fixed speed so you can't do anything so he was just bunging them all through at the same <laughs> same time oh, and great. so uh, with you know pretty awful results uh, but you know, a lot of his films were just people probably finding them in the back of a drawer, or they were just people just going into the high street shop. Or can you, you know, probably weren't that critical. Um, but what we do, so the way we process black and white is is is, uh, and this is something that came over from when we bought Peter Gaffney's business. Um, and I remember when I first went to look at his gear, I thought he said, "Well, this is the black and white process." And I thought, "Oh, I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the quality is going to be like out of that." because uh, it was a converted e6 machine and i thought well you know well, we'll give it a go but we might end up having to do something different and i thought you know whatever and i was absolutely amazed at the quality from this and the reason the quality is so good out of it uh is because uh one you could batch it all so you can run all these different times um but secondly because it was really an e6 machine uh, e6 is quite a long process and so it's nice and slow um you know the average time we process black and white is six minutes in the day now a lot of commercial black and white processing is done much much faster than that um there was a machine uh, made by or made for ilford uh called the fp40 um but it it was it had something like a 45 second dev time <laughs> average and so it and very high temperature and it was really designed for for press offices or newspapers and things where you know the quality didn't really matter what mattered was getting it processed quickly and bunging it in and getting it out getting it in the paper um wasn't really suited to the film photographer today who's really looking for high quality um so this e6 machine uh and we have a couple of spares as well so it's not gonna we're not gonna <laughs> run out i'm always on the lookout for another one actually but they're very very rare machines in fact they're so rare i've never seen another one for sale um uh, but anyway he'd converted this machine he'd originally had four of them all running e6 um uh, peter gaffney because he did a lot of e6 he's a very unusual lab uh, he did more e6 and c41 when we took him over um which is really bizarre uh, most labs have gone the other way all other labs have gone the other way but peter had a very very high reputation for e6 um anyway so that's so the black and white what we do is we have several different times a number of different times and when the films all come in there's a so we have a sack of mail comes in and then it's someone's job to go through, open all the mail, pair up the films with the orders. And then if there is black and white in there, they all go into these these buckets. That, oh, they're not buckets. Then uh, into this, they were sorted into different times with duplicates of the order. Yeah, so we don't get them mixed up. Um, and yeah, so... 
uh, and we have a very good um, developer as well called, uh, made by Fujifilm called Negastar. Now, sadly, Negastar is on the way out, and I have asked Fuji to if they'll give me the formulation. Um, but they and won't. they said, yes, of course, we're Fuji, no, and, they and won't. we love yeah. to share. No, no. Uh, it's, it's a real shame, because it is a magic potion. Uh, I shouldn't really. It's like a trade secret. But I can say it now because it's going to be it's going to be killed, so yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But it is an amazing developer, um, and uh, it 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 does everything. It's a bit like Xtol in a way, uh, but it's more flexible. It's very very suited to commercial processing, and it's typical Fuji. Fuji just do make very very good quality products, um, and and they always they're a very clever company. And um, so, yeah, that's that's how we do it. They, they, just, they just get sorted. But that's always been the turn off. That's why it's a pound more for or 50p more, whatever it is, for, for, for if we process black and white film, because it's just much more laborious. Is that all it is? Uh, I, I, I think something like that. It's, I think I, I, I think at the moment it's fifty p more. It should probably be a bit more than that, to be honest. I, but it's it, 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 C forty one obviously is a lot more straightforward. The C forty one process is very robust as well. I mean, you, you know, I've always joked with C forty one, you a nuclear bomb go off and it, it would it would be fine. It would still be running. And you'd still be processing. It's an amazing process. It's so you literally any idiot can run C41 if you just follow some basic rules um, of 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 you know. And that that's why it's very disheartening when some labs mess up even C41. You know, you get very dirty film. Uh, we see it sometimes because we we often end up scanning and printing from films that have been processed by other people, and you know. Uh, I was going to say without naming any names, I will name names. I mean, places that, I mean, a lot of people swear by um, some of the sort of supermarket processing, but the reality is, um, even though C41 is robust, you've still got to have basic kind of cleanliness and mm. and maintenance schedules because, it, you know, and in fact, we actually run at two or three times a week, we will run, uh, and this is quite unusual these days a lot of people don't bother with c41 even though they say they do they don't bother but we run a control strip so it's a pre-processed strip of film from fuji and you you run it and then we actually send it away to champion photochemistry uh, who supply some of our chemistry um they supply a c41 developer and bleach and there's a guy there called nigel who is just he just nothing he doesn't know about chemistry and, and film processing. He's an absolute mine of information. And it's all he's done his whole life, his whole working life. And he analyzes it on a densitometer. And then he puts it, he's got some software that he enters it in. And, and, and then he sends us the report by email. And say it might say, you know, the process is fine or tweak the developer by 5% replenishment rate or something like that. So even the C41, we can keep it really, really consistent because that's the other thing. You really want consistency uh, in processing. Uh, and that, again, applies to the black and white. The black and white requires, it does require consistency because people then get used to how their film is going to look when processed by AG. Mm -hmm. um so it's, it's important we don't change. now we are going to have to change the developer soon because negastar is going to run out 
Um, but we've got another one up our sleeve, which is performs almost identically, uh, made by another well-known company. <laughs> uh, which one? A, a company in Germany. Uh, oh, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a company in Germany that make pretty much all, uh, and I don't know whether people realize it, Tessanol, the company in Germany, they make not only their own branded chemistry, they also make chemistry for, they make most of the Kodak chemistry is made by Tessanol. Uh, they make all of the Ilford branded chemistry and they make um, a lot of the photo speed branded chemistry and it's open secret everybody knows it um and and it's just they have such an efficient factory they can they can make small amounts of stuff efficiently and profitably um they don't have to make an enormous vat that's how they can still support the manufacturing of a developer like um neofin blue which is, uh, if anybody's familiar with that, it's a, it's a little, it's a, we sell it. It comes in little five little glass or six little glass mm. bottles. And it's a high acutance developer. Yeah. There used to be one called Neofin Red, but they did kill that off a number of years ago. But yeah, they can still make these very niche products profitably. And they're very, very good at this, uh, at Tetanol. They're just a, they're a really fantastic company. Um, Tetanol in the UK, so a little bit of industry sort of insight now and we're sort of moving into. Um, Tetanol in the UK is, a dis- is obviously owned by Tetanol in Germany and they're a distribution company in the UK. Uh, obviously, all the manufacturing is done in Germany. So they distribute their own products, but they're also the Kodak distributor. So they distribute all of Kodak's products. Kodak don't do any distribution themselves. Um, and uh, so a lot of what they distribute is what's known as Kodak Alaris products. Um, And Kodak Alaris is the pension fund-owned arm, British arm, of Eastman Kodak. So when Eastman Kodak went into Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, um, I, I think I'm right in saying, and you know, someone from Kodak might listen to this and pop up and say, "No, you're wrong." But I'm pretty certain the single largest liability Eastman Kodak had uh, on their balance sheet uh, was the pensions deficit in the UK for Kodak Limited, and the UK arm, um, which I think is probably the largest, was the largest subsidiary of Eastman Kodak, or is still, because uh, Kodak Limited continues um so that couldn't be extinguished by the via the sort of chapter 11 sort of procedure so they had to come up with a way of of dealing with that and the way they came up with dealing with it and is is unusual but not unheard of it is by selling part of the business to the pension fund and so the pension fund owns the certain parts of the business and that was per what they call personalized imaging and document imaging and i think it was another bit as well a personalized imaging is all the stills film and the kiosks that you see in shops and all that kind of thing and then document imaging was a more sort of specialized side of the business to do with i think it involved scanning you know if you write a letter to your bank they have these massive scanners. They scan all these, all this paperwork. That so that was, you know, Kodak was involved in that business, and that was part of that. So, yeah, the idea is that they run Kodak Alaris. The, the revenues and the profits generated by Kodak Alaris goes into the pension fund. Uh, the members of the pension fund had to take a bit of a hit, but not as bad as if it had gone into the pe- pension protection government scheme. So, you know, 
everybody's a winner almost. Uh, that was how it was sort of looked at. So, um, yeah, it was that was it was an ex- yeah, it was, uh, that that's how they sort of s- sorted that out. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's that that's where we're moving with the black and white, the black and white, and 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 yeah, it 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 works really well. And we we you know it it it's the the black and white processor processing it you know we've got a system in place that means we can do it efficiently so we don't have to charge a fortune for it that is that's i learned i mean i learned that from peter um when we bought the business off him and in fact peter still works for us um so when he bought the part of the deal when i bought the business off him is he said i want to continue to work for you doing you know a bit uh and what i really want to do is be in charge of the e6 and I said, well, that's brilliant because E6 is notoriously tricky. So, from what I'm going, moving on from what I've said about C41 with being very, very robust, E6 is incredibly, is complete opposite, and it's very, very easy to mess it up. And this is why lots of labs packed it in. And I don't know how many labs there are now commercially processing E6, like commercially properly processing it, you know, in any kind of volume so i'm excluding anybody who does it in a jobo or a deep tank i'm just saying you know this is who people who can process sort of 100 200 rolls a day um plus if they need to um so peter said you know i wanted and he's massively experienced at e6 and it's like a black art e6 you have to sort of tweak the chemistry and we run, a, you have to, with the with the C41, you know, you can run a control strip. Well, a lot of people don't run, run one at all and get away with it quite happily, really. But we do one, you know, two or three times a week. With E6, you have to, you have to run a control strip before every session. And if you don't, you're taking a big risk because the chemistry could be wildly out. And if it's out, then you have to tweak it. And then you have to know how to tweak it. And that just comes with experience. Um, so, um, he, he, I mean, Peter's got sort of 45, 50 years experience in running a photo lab. So he's really great to have him involved. And, um, but we, the control strips to do for the E6, we analyze ourselves. And so we have our own densitometer and we do all of that because it has to be done there and then. And, uh, yeah, that, that's how it works. And so, um, so this is yeah. just some crazy insight. I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah, this, this is this is just art. Uh, it's a, it is a I mean, this, this is why E6. I mean, E6 is that's why it was just it's just disappeared from so many labs. I mean, I can think of in the last 12 months, I'm, I think I can think of at least two or three labs that stopped either stopped completely or stopped doing E6 because it caused it, it was caused they probably had you know their volumes have probably fallen down, you know, it, it dropped off a lot. And they just think, you know what? It's just, and, and they're probably getting complaints because that's the other thing about E6. And I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but E6 customers are the most demanding customers um, because, for a number of reasons. Firstly, because a lot of E6 customers are very seasoned users of color reversal film, and they've been using it for years, and they and they know what they like. And secondly. It's very expensive to shoot mm. a color reversal film, so you know people don't want it messed up. So, uh, I mean, the chap I mentioned earlier, Bruce Percy, he he shoots a lot of Velvia, and um, he's he's a fantastic customer because um, 
he, he's always over the moon with our processing, which is obviously what we what we want. Um, but he, he is him, and there's a, there's another chap not far from me up up here in um, Scotland actually. Um, there's a, a chap called Ian Cameron. He shoots a lot of Velvia as well, um, and those landscapes. But what just while we're on East, the subject of E6 and color reversal. Um, the the users of color reversal generally fall into there's two broad groups they fall into um, and that's landscape and what I call transport is the other one so there's quite a few people who who are basically train spotting um, <laughs> and there's quite a lot of them who who like to shoot on e six on on color reversal still. Um, and buses as well. Anything to do with transport, buses, trains, aeroplanes. Uh, Anything that's that requires it. an anorak yeah. in order to go. Uh, basically, that's, that's right. So that E6 tends, obviously, there's, there's one or two other people using it, of course, but it is broadly that. I think the landscape's the biggest um, for, for E6. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that, as I say, Ian Cameron, he's landscape. He does a lot of workshops up here in Scotland. He, he He's um he's he's very good if anybody wants to do a, a landscape workshop um he, he's been doing them for years and years and 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 yeah and of course bruce percy so yeah that's um that, that's the thing but e6 uh, color reversal film is, is is incredibly difficult to make um as well and and i think that's why it's kind of ended up with although of course there's kodak are, apparently are bringing back the extrachrome but that's why it kind of came back just down to Fujifilm in the end. Um, At this but, point, Matt, yeah. what? Because you must obviously you you see the way the, the numbers and the trends coming through. Yeah. What what are what is the current breakdown like in the different kind of films you see coming through? And has that changed much over yeah. the last few years? Do you see it going in in a, you know any yeah. particular direction for processing? Hmm. Yeah, um, and sales as well, I guess. I mean, I suppose yeah, the two kind of I mean, go hand it, in hand. I mean, we we've seen a steady growth in in our business. Now, what is a little bit difficult for me to work out is is that growth coming from the competition? Are we one? Is it because one or two competitors have disappeared, or two, we are doing better than our competitors, so we're ripping business of them? Or you know, is it that, or is it because the market, the the the, the market is growing? Um, and I actually think it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, I think I think that the market is growing. There's there's a lot of interest, and actually, some of the strongest interest. I always say I've said for two or three years now, the strongest interest that we see, and we get quite a lot of walk-in customers in Birmingham, being being situated where we are. Um, the, the the a lot of the growth in analog. Is, is it from people born since 1990? So if you were born 1990 onwards, you've grown up with digital, basically. And it's those people who have grown up with digital, who see analog almost as a, I think it's like a new technology. Uh, it, you know, it, maybe they see things in it that people who originally it was all there was um, that don't see. They see, you know, an interest in it. Um, so. That that that's that's definitely that, that is quite interesting. I mean, one of the things I spend quite a lot of time doing, well, not a lot of time, but I I keep my finger on the pulse, so I like to think I do, is what sort of what's going on in the industry in terms of, you know, our suppliers, you know, where you know are they making a profit? 
are they successful you know because the thing about this industry is you 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 uh, it's not like if i was selling if i was a greengrocer and uh i fell out with my carrot supplier or my carrot supplier uh went bust um i just find another carrot supplier but if my if Ilford, if I fall out with Ilford or if Ilford went past, uh, I don't have any other options. Uh, so we would, you know, it's a major issue. So I, I tend to, I, I read all of their, all of these sort of uh, 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 annual reports and, and things like that. Uh, and thankfully, because, um, you know, obviously I don't know where a little bit of sort of boring uh, company stuff, but um, in the UK, uh, and this is quite interesting. Some people might find this interesting. In the UK, if you are a, a, a private limited company uh, or, a, or a public company, but if you're a, a, a registered company, has to file their accounts every year, which a lot of people know, and they file them at a, at a place called Company's House. And you can go into Company's House, you can look at any, any company's accounts. However, if, the com- if, if a company is turning over uh, less than five million pounds, you only have to file what's known as an abbreviated balance sheet, which doesn't give a huge amount of detail. Uh, it doesn't give you figures like turnover and net profit and gross profit. It just gives you this, it's just this abbreviated balance sheet. Uh, and it's it can be quite difficult to glean information from that other than the company's solvent or not solvent. Um, but if a company is turning over more than that, they have to file a full audited set of accounts, which gives you all of the detail, all of the gory details, the interesting details, everything you want to know. And of course, Harman turns over, um, you know, 18, 19 million. So they have to file a full set of audited accounts. And it's very interesting to read Harman's. Um, and I, I can say this: it's public information because it's filed a company's house. So I'm not, I'm not revealing any secrets. Um, but Harman, uh, uh, their financial year runs as per the calendar. So their financial year ends on the 31st of December. And so their accounts, uh, every time you get nine months to file your accounts. So they need to file them uh, by the end of September each year. Um, and uh, it's always interesting to see them when they come out because in the introductory uh, uh, page, they often... You know, they will take the opportunity to maybe highlight you often well, in any audited accounts, full accounts, that the opening sort of uh, overview will will give some highlights and lowlights necessary, you know, as as necessary. Um, and so for the last three years, the highlights from Harman is the increase in film sales. And what's really interesting about that is that those increases have come about without anyone else dropping out of the market in that time, time really. Um, mm-hmm. So when they first had the management buyout at Harman, they had some fantastic boosts to them, to their business in the very early years. They bought the business and then pretty soon after that, uh, Agfa went bust and they were the biggest competitor. Well, one of the biggest, you know, uh, you know, particularly on paper. Mm. So that was fantastic for them because it really, that really gave them it. And then Kodak stopped making black and white paper. That was another uh, great, and that happened very soon. Both those things happened quite soon after the, the management buyout in 2004. So I always wait for their, their accounts to come out because they're really interesting. And and um, obviously then you can go and you can look up 
you know what sort of profits they're making all the rest of it um what what is quite interesting is that there is this is this 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 increase in film that they're seeing i think it was four or five percent in 2016 um and it was similar i forget what the figures are you can go and look anybody can go and look it up it was it was i think it was two percent the one year then it went up four percent and five percent and four percent so it's, it's, there's, there's a definite growth trend going on in sales of film unfortunately there's a decline although the decline has slowed uh, but there has been a decline in their paper sales uh i think 2015 it was seven percent decline and then there was a decline last in 2016 of two and a half percent so it appears the decline has slowed a bit and that's one of the reasons that um i always try and push sort of that's why we did the dark room workshops we've, we've done in um uh, in birmingham and and the i suppose the problem is is you need you know people often struggle with a space to to sort of operate a small dark room but it that is that that's been always it's been a little bit of a disappointment to see the the, the monochrome paper falling because you can bet if if ilford's paper's falling in sales you can bet fomas is too and you know that's 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 not ideal but you know as i say it's it's it is at least counted with the rise in film and and sales but i've said for ages that the irony in this industry and it's a huge irony is that there's one major thing that has saved film and analog photography and that's digital and the, and that's the crazy thing about it um what what what's saved it is the fact that you can shoot film and scan it and then take it into the digital digital domain share what you've done very very easily distribute your images very easily and and then you know and then in later years all the social media thing has made it very easy to whip up interest in the in niche products and and that so that's the crazy thing about analog is it's been saved by digital um and and that you know that's i've always thought was a funny irony in this in this industry do you, uh, do you think yeah. matt sorry um the with this decline in um papers and stuff like that do you think that we are going to see um you know bear in mind that we said earlier that sort of 2011 was when things started moving more and that a lot of the people coming to film photography now are people who did not grow up with it do you think that we will actually start to see as people go through their analog photographic journey that you know that as they get to a certain stage, darkroom stuff is going to become a next logical step. And so we are likely to see an uptick in that as well. Because I mean, I have to say, I'm seeing, it feels like I'm seeing more and more people getting yeah. back into yeah. that who a yeah. few years ago would have been like, well, no, it's not, you know, that's just too much. And it seems that more and more people now. Quite possibly. I mean, yeah, I mean, quite possibly. I suppose the thing about darkroom is it just, it requires a sort of higher level of commitment in terms of time and space. That is the only problem with darkroom. As soon as you start setting up some dishes, saying that, I mean, we've got, I mean, I've got one customer, local customer in Birmingham who uh, he says, I, I do most of my photography in the summer. And then in the winter, I, I wait till it goes dark. Um, and I just process on my dining room table. And I think there is a bit of a, there is a little bit of a misunderstanding sometimes amongst people as to what is involved in 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 doing your own printing. Actually, you could literally you can do it anywhere really. Um, you only need it's three dishes and an enlarger, 
and that's basically it. You can put the prints in a washing up bowl and go and wash them, you know, in uh, later on or something mm. like that. I mean, my first dark room, I set up in an attic. And I had to pull the ladder up behind me and shut the door behind me. And then I just had a bowl of cold water, which I, you know, I um, just put the prints in as a sort of holding bowl, a holding sort of thing. And then I would go downstairs later, you know, take them down after I finished and wash them in the kitchen and just hang them up. Um, you know, it's, it's, and that was very basic. I didn't even have a, I think I put the enlarger on an old trunk, an old traveling trunk and, and, Yes, it was really basic. I mean, you you can. I think sometimes people think you've got to have running tempered water and you've got to have all these, which are all nice to have, but you just, you don't really need need that. I know. You know, even if you're doing some volume, you don't need need that. I know. Uh, I talked to a a lot of the the older gentlemen at my camera club and you you hear how they used to to do it. And it's like, well, we just go in the bathroom, put a plank over the bath. Yeah. That was it. Um, yeah. Should we should we take a quick break? Because yeah, I know sure. we've been talking yeah. about a while. And then when we come back, because it seems like a good thing to follow up with, is your project um, that, yes, that you've little, got little planned. Yes, a project coming, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and also we need to talk about Kodak's big news from this week. So, um, Aid, can, you, can yeah. you take us to a break, Aid? Because I feel weird taking us to a break. That's your job. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. We'll have a quick break and then we'll come back with more. And we're back, and yeah, I, I how am I feeling after all of that? Well, do you know what? I I've been a customer of AG Photo Lab for some years, let's just say <laughs> some years, and uh, it's always seemed to me like a pretty smooth customer service. Um, all of that stuff going on in the background, I had absolutely no inkling whatsoever. So, I mean, that has been fascinating, Matt, to hear all, all, all about that. All about that. Could I make just one small little customer request? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Far away, yeah. Could you, could you get a facility to share scans over the internet? Yeah. It's a good <laughs> question. I know it's a really good question. So the problem we have with that, um, there is something we're going to do. The problem with uploading them somewhere for people to get them that we have is is we're doing so many scans on a daily basis is if everybody wants to do it, even with an amazing internet connection and it, it would just be it would just so to blanket offer it would would be would be a nightmare. So what we um, what we uh, have thought is we want to set up a, a a server where customers can log in and download them out of the server. So we will save them to the server. And then, and so some system where the customers can, can get into this. So it would be some kind of login with your order number. Um, I've got some, someone looking at it uh, at the moment, but it, it would be a system like that rather than one where we upload them somewhere like, I don't know, we transfer or Dropbox or something, because all of that uploading, even with a really great internet connection, it's just it's going to be impractical. So yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Oh, this is yeah. not supposed to be a a customer rant or negative feedback. No, no, or no. Anything no, it's, like that. It's, no, it's a good. No, it's a good. It's a good question, and we do get asked it a lot, and it's understandable, and it is something we wanna we wanna offer, yeah. um, because 
you know, obviously it makes sense. <laughs> well, clearly, you know, clearly it's on your radar yeah. and that's good because yeah, I think yeah. I, at yeah. this point, I think I only have one computer with a CD drive in it and it makes, oh, right. some, yeah, well, that it makes some horrible noises. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know this is, this is, this is an issue that a lot of people have. Um, there is that you, yeah, that it, it, or a memory it, stick in the post service or something. Well, like that. that's, I know that's or VHS cassettes. No, <laughs> go backwards well, them. that's it yeah i mean we did look you know i try, i did look at trying to source you know like bulk um uh memory sticks but they just come out they just come out just too expensive yeah. if only uh, the, if only there was some sort of optical storage mechanism that was flat and paperish yeah well absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah all right okay there we go listen so no absolutely i i'm uh as as but no, it's definitely something we're working on it's, yeah it's, and, as, it's, and as graham said at the beginning of the show i thought i i i've mentioned uh your lab a lot over the last couple of years on this show because i am a, a very satisfied customer so thank no, you and keep up the good work no no well thank you <laughs> and i'm i'm very excited because i've got a roll of provia sitting in the fridge that i've actually shot that i know i now know i'm going to be posting off to peter to develop i'm very excited yeah. about that yeah, yeah, <laughs> actually he is the man he's he's a he's a real character as well if you ever meet him i mean he's generally stays away in the dark but uh, sometimes people get to meet him, uh, and and uh, it, yeah, yeah. We'll see, uh, we'll see it. See it. Yes. Well. Yeah. Okay. All right. I tell you what. Then uh, we have to move on a little bit because Matt, you've got a, a special project that you want to tell us about. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So so fairly recently. So obviously the business is based in Birmingham, and uh, for but for a number of reasons, fairly recently I ended up moving and living. 40 miles north of Inverness um, in the highlands of Scotland in, a, in the county of Sutherland. Um, uh, some people will know that area and some people won't. Um, but it's, it is a stunningly beautiful area. It doesn't uh, so sound very, very close to Birmingham. No, it's not. It's 500 miles away. Um, so a lot of what I do in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the business is behind a computer, to be honest. Um, uh, it's adjusting prices. It's t- t- checking website stuff. It's it's all that kind of thing. And what I do is I fly down to Birmingham uh, quite as a flight uh, every day from Inverness to Birmingham direct, and I can do it in. It's very very quick. You know, the flight's about an hour and twenty minutes, and and then uh, I just get in a, a, a taxi and I'm at the office in, in no time at all. And, um, yeah, it's actually, I mean, it was always a bit of an experiment to be honest. Um, but I had some ideas that I wanted to develop up here, uh, in, in, in addition to that business. So, um, but it's, it, you know, so far it seems to be working really, really well. We have a, a, a VoIP telephone system, uh, which most businesses or well, a lot of businesses have now. Um, I don't know whether it's called voice over internet protocol. So the, the phones look like a regular sort of commercial office phone, um, but they just plug straight into the broadband. You don't have this sort of box of tricks on the wall anymore. So I'm sat here at the moment, uh, 40 miles north in Vaness. I've got a, uh, a phone on my desk here that is part of the phone system in Birmingham. So they can transfer through to me just like I'm sat in another room. It's, it's really clever. And um, 
it's, it's an extraordinary situation actually uh it really and it, and and touch it, it seems to be working very well the other thing that makes it work well is the is the people who work in birmingham are are very very good very self-motivated and they're very very good at at, at getting at getting on with the job um and and my management style has always been kind of hands-off because i just think if you micromanage people then you you have to heavily manage them all the time after that once you start micromanaging people that they won't do anything without your say so because you're micromanaging them and uh so I take this what, what what's known as the Timpson approach, uh, as in the shoe repair people. They call it the upside down management, and the theory is uh, when it's worked for Timpson and it appears to work for us, is is you 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 give people um, the freedom to get on with the job in the way they kind of see fit. Um, you obviously give them the parameters, and you you've you've got to um, have certain rules about certain things. Um, but, um, people take control of the situation and, and, and they just work so much more effectively like that. And, um, so yeah, it's, 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 I've got one or two ideas up here that we want to do, but in the, in the interim, we come up with a, with a little project that we want to, we want to undertake. Um, and that is the creation of a, uh, a, a, a sort of a Highland darkroom facility here uh which would also have some print facility scan facility as well um and i've got a building um here which is um uh, available for me to convert into this facility um if i was to sort of put my commercial hat on um i would you know the obvious thing to do with this building is to turn it into a, into a holiday let to be honest because that would in terms of revenue, that would that would be far and away the most uh, sort of uh, revenue generating thing to do. Uh, but I just I just think we could do something a lot more exciting than that. And 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 this facility would then be available for uh, for a number of different types of people. It would be available for sort of local people who and uh, and it's quite artistic around here. But secondly, it would be available for people coming to the area who want to shoot film in this area and there's there's some absolutely cracking uh scenery around here that i think is the i think sutherland if anybody's familiar with sutherland they'll they'll probably agree with me but obviously you see a lot of stuff shot around glencoe and in terms of landscape photography around glencoe and and and, and it is beautiful around there but there's something really magical about about sutherland and and this this part of the highlands and um so for people visiting the area, we give them a facility because if you're shooting film, you often need a facility, you know, that you, you might not want to wait until you get all the way back home. So there's a facility. But then there's also, it would be usable for anybody who wants to run their own workshop up here um, and and have people shooting film on that workshop. Because if you do a workshop and everybody's shooting digital and you can kind of go off to the pub and talk about it, you you can't do that with film you need to really you need to conclude it by developing the film you've shot and and anyway so it's a general facility but we'd also have some scan facility in there as well i've already collected some of the equipment to go in there um but we thought because this isn't you know this is never going to make a huge amount of money this facility um so 
what goes on a lot in this industry is crowdfunding. And we thought, well, we've never done that before. Let's have a crack at it. So the plan is to launch a crowdfunding campaign to convert this building um, uh, in March sometime. Um, we're working on the campaign at the moment, and the plan would be to launch it sometime in March. Um, and it'd be on Crowdfunder. Uh, that, that would be the, the platform we, we would use. Um, and the great thing about what we think we can do with this crowdfunding campaign, which is, a, you know, different to a lot of the crowdfunding campaigns, is in the way we can, we can what we can offer in rewards for people who, who, who decide to, uh, to, who decide they want to be involved. Um, a lot of crowdfunding campaigns, um, the rewards center around the uh, successful implementation of, of whatever the, the crowdfunding campaign is for. Uh, and then your rewards, you know, so say the crowdfunding campaign is to make a product, and then the rewards are often, you know, one of those products or some of those products or a variation of that. But what we can do is we, we've got a range of rewards that we can distribute. We can start distributing the moment the crowdfunding is finished because we can offer all kinds of things like, you know, uh, various services that we already do at the, at the sort of lower end of the reward uh, costs uh, price scale. Um, you know, various things, uh, print services and, and things like that. And then going up, maybe sort of exhibition printing. Uh, we can offer places on the dark room workshops for, you know, for, for rewards. And then kind of moving up towards the, the upper end, we can offer um, uh, some quite unique unique rewards that we think that will, will appeal to people. Um, uh, namely, um, we've got some, we've got a, we've got a, 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 another building here, which is sort of like a, it's a old sort of hunting lodge building, and it has an entire wing of that, which is self-contained um, cottage. And uh, we can, we can, it's like a self-catering cottage basically already, and we can give three days, four days, five days, you know, periods in that as various rewards. Some of those rewards can be coupled with uh, a photographic workshop as well. Some of them could just be the self-catering. We haven't completely finalized it yet, uh, but we think we've got a very interesting spread of rewards that we can distribute the moment this, this is finished, the moment that the crowdfunding is finished, so people won't have to wait for the, the project to kind of be done before they get the rewards. And we think that should be attractive. Um, I was even thinking of, uh, coupling one of the the sort of uh, 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 accommodation rewards uh, with, um, uh, with with a whiskey tasting as well, which I might appeal to some people. <laughs> that certainly appeal to me, Probably definitely, appeal. yeah. Because <laughs> we've got quite a selection of whiskey here. So, um, and that's something else I'm very interested in, actually. If I hadn't had photography, <laughs> I, might, I might have set up a whiskey distillery, but I think that ship has sailed, actually. There's, I think there's too many whiskey distilleries now. I think there's there's rather a lot of them going on, uh, and I think that might be a bubble that's about to burst. But, um, yeah, it, it's it, – we so it's, it's an interesting product. And, and so I, I just – obviously just – urge people to keep an eye on crowdfunder and our emails and our website and we'll we'll obviously publicize stuff about it but i think it's a it's a really unique project um 
I've already had a meeting with um, the uh, um, a chap called Matt Sillers, who runs uh, the photography course at the University of the Highlands and Islands, and he's very interested. And we think we can. He, he it would be of great interest to you know to. To, to, to him and and the people he associates with up here he's very into analog and into darkroom work and he he's in the process of setting up a a, a darkroom in the in the city of Inverness as well so the, these two could work very nicely sort of hand in hand i think um the other great advantage we have here and the location where this 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 building is is although we're right out in, in, in this fantastic location and beautiful location, we're only one mile from a railway station and and then we're about 40 miles from Inverness, uh, which where you've got all of these, you know, economical connections. The, the, there are flights every day to uh, London Gatwick, London Heathrow, uh, Birmingham, uh, Stansted, uh, no, not Stansted, Luton, Bristol, uh, Amsterdam, uh, all, all of these are uh, Manchester as well. They're all flying into Inverness every day. And, um, so we've got some really good connections and yeah, I think it'd be, a, I just think it's going to be quite an interesting project and we, we can, but it does need a lot of work this building and, and to make it, to make it good. Um, it just needs, it needs dripping out and turning into, you know, uh, we need gutting to start off with. Um, but that's another side of my life. I've been, I've been heavily involved in, in a lot of building work over the years, and I'm quite in, um, into particularly old buildings, uh, a lot of restoration work and that kind of thing over the years. Um, it sounds like a sort of jack of all trades. But, right. So, uh, so it sounds like a match made in heaven in a way. I mean, yeah, so, so what you're saying is that if we support your crowdfunding initiative, there's a chance yeah. that in the future we might be able to come take photographs in a beautiful part of the Highlands of Scotland. And, yeah. I, and I've driven up that road many, many years ago. I had to drive yeah. from yeah. Inverness to um, uh, Thurso, Dune Ray. Right, OK, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, so yeah. I, I've driven up that coast yeah. road. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So and it, gonna, is, yeah. it is quite an awesome place, nothing quite like it. But we, all, might, we might also find ourselves drinking plenty of whiskey, staying in a, a marvellously restored old building with its own built-in yeah. darkroom and, and printing facility. Um, well that's it that doesn't think, sound like well, a bad thing to me <laughs> no 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 no. well the the building that we're going to convert into the facility would that it will literally all be facility but when we've got other um we've got uh, we've got actually separate accommodation um in separate parts of uh, another building um so it's um yeah it, it, well we've got red squirrels running around in the trees and and uh, deer and all that kind of thing. It's probably wildcats out there as well. I haven't seen one of those. But uh. <laughs> so, so just again, that um, if people want to keep abreast of this and, and yeah. uh, when you actually launch it, um, what's the best way for them to follow you? Are, do you do you guys do Twitter? Do you have an email? Yeah, newsletter? well, Twitter is one. Yeah, at AG Photographic, and um, we'll definitely be all over our Twitter account. Um, but at AG Photographic, we've also got. Uh, we do send out emails as well. Um, and, um, you know, I don't think there's a link on our website to sign up to the email, which is, which is unforgivable, actually. Um, just thinking about that. Uh, everybody who's on our day, we've got quite a big database, actually, of, of, of people. Um, but they've all come through, you know, 
previous orders and you know how we've over the years um but i'll i shall look at putting a link on our sites so seems that, like it might be a good yeah, idea i think that is a good idea yeah um but um certainly twitter yeah at ag photographic is is you know we 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 we, we, we try to tweet stuff out regularly um so yeah just keep keep an eye on it if you're interested as i say the rewards will range everything from the sort of, you know, as they do from the, the lower end up right up to, you know, like an all singing, all dancing kind of rewards at the other end. You know, there's going to be a big spread, but as I say, uh, there are, there are rewards that we can distribute straight away once the crowdfunding is, com- uh, is completed. So that I think is quite nice. Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Well, that, yeah. that's actually a, a, a good segue. I think as we, we do like to, uh, to give our guests on the show a chance to direct our listeners uh, to, to their work. Often that's artistic work. It's um, sli- slightly different in this case. Um, uh, but yeah. uh, uh, so e- even I could have a go yeah. at this. There is, of course, agphotographic.co.uk, uh, which yeah. ag-photographic.co.uk, which is the main yeah. retail store. That's our, sort your... of, that's our retail sort of site, yes. Yes. I and mean, then... we have had... Yeah, sorry, sorry, carry on. No, no, yeah. I was going to say. Then there's my personal favourite, which is agphotolab.co.uk. Yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of a story. I'll quickly say there's a little bit of a story behind why there's two websites. In an ideal world, there'd be one website. Um, but when we started the lab, I don't know. I just thought it was better to cut the services on another site. Um, and we did commence recently a project to. Um, I did discuss this with Hamish Gill because he's into websites. Um, <laughs> yeah, he certainly anyway, is, we, yes. Yeah, he's into we, a lot we, of we started, stuff. Yeah, I mean, we started a project to build a brand new site which would have everything on it and it would be on a different platform. Um, and I just the people who did it, well, they never got it done. And, and it, we've had a I, – I, it's about a third or the fourth time i've fallen out with website <laughs> website because <laughs> it just you know they quoted one price and then it just went to pot the whole thing and and by their own admission actually they they they, they were <laughs> so that's been a bit of a disaster so the, we're actually going to be making some enhancements and and changing certainly the lab site um fairly soon um one of the things i'm going to be doing actually and i'll quickly plug this in is I'm going to, we're going to be putting a good selection of film for sale on the lab website because obviously, I mean, this is something we really should have done a long time ago, but the thing is, it obviously, if people are having processing, there may, is a high chance someone might want to have some new film sent back with their, with their processing because mm-hmm. the chances are they might need some more film. And as I say, the film doesn't have a huge margin for it, but what we've, thought is that we could offer incentives um so you know spend x amount off on processing and that will give you 10 percent off film or something like that some sort of um you know something that incentivizes from our point of view incentivizes customers to you know maximize their spend on processing and printing but then gives them a reward in terms of a discount off 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 fresh film so um and that helps us do that because then the lab is kind of kind of propping up the slightly poor margin on the film side on the film sales side but that that's what we're going to, we're going to we're going to 
do that soon. Um, uh, for me, I'd take up an offer like that, certainly. It, yeah, it just it's just to just yeah just it just i think it makes it makes sense uh that's one of the reasons we wanted to cre- create one site but you know for the time being we're going to stick with two sites it's, uh, it's just done my head in the, the whole website thing just uh yeah anyway there we okay go. so yeah. fair so there's those two main websites uh then to follow you on twitter uh and that'll yep. and, and that'll be a good way for people to yeah twitter definitely about... um always always I, I like twitter i think twitter is a I never really got on with Facebook, uh, but Twitter for a business, I think Twitter is really, in particular, is 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 really a gift. Um, it can be very, very effective, I think. Mm. Um, but yeah, there we go. Okay, there we go, indeed. Thank you very much. Right, well, um, I, I get the feeling we could sit here and talk for another hour and a half or so. But <laughs> I suspect we should move the show on. I don't think it it certainly wouldn't be boring, but. <laughs> Uh, so, but we have uh, uh, our usual selection of stuff uh, to think uh, to talk through. So um, we're going to take another quick break and come back to that. Okay, we are back, and we have some news um you know haven't i can't remember the last time we did a product launch probably only about three and a half weeks ago or something like that but this uh this week it is the turn of kodak graham what have kodak got for us oh well the internet was all abuzz this week because they were little um timmy teasers weren't they we had was it five days of suggestive posts on twitter um saying something's coming and giving little clues and uh, pretty much from the get-go people were guessing fairly accurately what it was likely to be um but on friday they revealed that it was the return of kodak t-max 3200 um film uh which people are very very pleased about um well, most people are very, very pleased about. There was a quite a large contingent of people going, "What only in thirty-five mil? No one twenty. And then there was another slightly smaller <laughs> contingent of people going, "Oh, well, what about yeah, Delta? Yeah. You know, Delta's already out." They're like, "Well, yeah, this is great. It's Delta's still great." It's like, but uh, yeah, anyway, so it's good news. More new film um, or returning. But <laughs> well, it was film. nice. You know, thirty-two T Max thirty-two hundred. Sorry, T Max thirty-two hundred was always a nice alternative to Delta because it, it just it just looked different it just looks you know so provided they come up with the same formulation um yeah, yeah. how, how it, long has it been yeah, gone for how long? It, it was not that long um uh, probably about three or four years or something like that i remember we had a consignment of it that we were sold cheap by the Kodak distributor they said oh we've got some it's uh, shop soiled <laughs> T-Max 3200. It's all great. Yeah, we'll have that. Yeah. It all arrived. It, it didn't even run over by a forklift. I mean, it, all the film was like coming out of the cassettes. <laughs> so it was uh, totally useless. Shot soil. Oh, so, yeah, all squashed and, and, and yeah, it was a bit bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, uh, it, yeah. Uh, there just... we go. No, that is. It's, thing is you never know what's going to happen in this industry you never know with Kodak what is going to come next if you know this week it's announcement that t-max 3200 is coming back if it had been an announcement that we're stopping making film i, I probably would have been as surprised you don't know what i mean it would have had the same level of surprise um uh, it, you never really know what's what's 
what what's coming next. Thankfully, it's all been positive stuff, um, and it looks like they've got a taste for um, these niche products and, and this analog marketplace. Um, and, and, and you know, long may it continue. I mean, I'm still waiting for the Super 8 camera, which they say is is definitely coming. Mm, <laughs> but I did notice that the original. Yeah, well, I did notice the original kind of estimated price when they first launched it or the first previewed it at that show in Las Vegas is going to be, you know, it's going to be four, five, six hundred dollars. And I noticed that's now risen to sort of two thousand or something yeah, like that, that. or fifteen hundred or something, um, yes. which hmm. which, yeah, it kind of doesn't surprise me in a way because you're making something that niche and yeah, you just. I just, you know, you're not going to sell that many. And uh, hey, you could, yeah, it's just not, <laughs> it wasn't ever going to be sort of 400. But, you know, we'll see. Hopefully it'll be, uh, hopefully it will appear soon. Okay. Well, I tell you what, it, it, you're right. It is, uh, it, it is difficult to be surprised sometimes with these things these days. Um, yeah. but, but hopefully, I, we'll... I think Kodak do their best. I mean, between the Bitcoin mining and the, uh, the smartphone and. Um... Yeah, well, that was a crazy one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was a crazy one, the Bitcoin. Yeah. So, yeah, Matt, yeah. Matt oh, it? <laughs> as a supplier, I mean, have, have Kodak given you any indication yet when we're likely to see this on shop floors in the UK? No, um, it, you just <laughs> the, the, you get very little information from them. I mean, part of the problem is the way it's all distributed and everything is you don't really have a lot of. I mean, Kodak with, Co, with Fuji is different, Hilford is different. They're all, but with Kodak, you don't have a lot of direct contact with them because it's so convoluted the distribution network so with something like film kodak make all of their film in rochester in in new york um they sell it to kodak alaris who then distribute it and sell it to their distributor who in turn sells it to us and that's sort of how the distribution works so it's a bit convoluted. Um, I can't help thinking if one of those chains was removed, it might be a bit cheaper, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, it, 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 that's the way it's, it's set up. And it's kind of set up by default because of the whole pension thing. Um, it, it, and they would argue, well, if we, you know, if, if Tetanol weren't distributing it, we'd be distributing it and there's a cost of distributing it. So the price would be the same. I mean, that's a bit of a, that's, that's the thing with, Sometimes people say, "Oh, and Ilford just sell it all direct." Well, I mean, they do sell it direct, but they they sell it at kind of like fairly normal, you know, usually probably the same price we sell it for. And, and the reason is, there's a cost to retailing. You know, they've got to have someone pack it up, someone run the website, someone do the that and the other, handle the phone calls, uh, answer the emails. So it doesn't actually necessarily create any economies of scale. But yeah, so I've not heard anything about about it. Uh, when we'll see it or um i mean codec does have a bit of a reputation recently of, of announcing stuff and then it, it, it taking an awfully long time to actually happen and we've seen that with the super 8 camera and we've seen it with Etrochrome 100d and you see this is but it's isn't you see this on a lot of other industries as well you see it in um uh, certain car manufacturers even do it particularly on the luxury end in the low volume luxury end they, they might say you know they might sometimes they'll announce what's coming on the the the, the you know the model year the, well, the model year you know they'll start selling the 2019 model year 
you know, in February 2018. Um, things like that. It, 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 it's not unique to Kodak, but they do announce these things and then it does seem to take a bit of time for it to maturity us. But who knows that, that, that it might appear quite quickly. It's well, certainly, the, I would imagine. Sorry. So they're, they're, they're promising March at some point, at least in the States. So hopefully. Oh, really? Oh yeah, this, this the, the, year, the, right? I didn't. Yeah, so, yeah, this year. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'd say it was. It was. I'd say it was definitely an easier product for them to materialise than Ektachrome, because Ektachrome is a different ball game in terms of manufacturing it. I mean, Ilford well, I once said to me, I said to Ilford, I said, "Look," and this was when the colour cut sheet colour paper kind of disappeared, and and Ilford started confectioning it for Fuji at Ilford's request, because Ilford didn't want there to be no cut sheet colour paper around, because they were worried that certain courses and universities who use it, if they couldn't get the cut sheet colour, they would just pack up all the darkroom completely, and then they wouldn't buy the black and white. So, but I remember saying to Ilford, why don't you make, you know, what is involved? What, you know, surely you could make some colour paper. You can get a formulation. And they said, it's just, it's, you wouldn't believe how complicated it is. You know, we, you know, it's complicated enough making black and white stuff, but uh, you, you know, you'd need to spend ten or twenty million pounds on on some kind of you know new coating line or something, and it's it's just you know we'd never get the money back. So, yeah, it it um it as I say the the that T Max yeah it's probably quite easy for them to 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 get it. Well, it would be fantastic if it is March. I mean, we'll look to try and get hold of it as soon as we possibly can. Um, I shall I shall I shall get hold of them and and we've got a pretty good relationship with the distribution so i think we can we should be able to get some pretty you know as soon as it lands really Um, but they have a container once a uh, yeah i mean it's a container once uh once once a month uh several containers got a number of containers come in from the states into leicester where they get distributed from from kodak Time for a heist. Um, and uh, yeah, 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 that's it. A massive, <laughs> literally great. 40 foot container. I think it's about five or six a month, 40 foot containers. Obviously, there's a lot of paper on there, a lot of um, color paper, because that, that, that is still a lot of volume of that, um, it, you know. Um, but uh, they have had a hard time. But, you know, when Kodak shutting the Harrow plant where they made all the paper for the EU, for the uh, European and sort of Africa, uh, Asian market. I think it was all made in Harrow. Um, when they decided to close that, I mean, true style. They they closed it just at the wrong moment. They closed it just as the as the value of the pound fell, and it would have been probably quite good to have kept it open, I, I guess. But anyway, you know, the decision had been taken, and and uh, and so all the paper gets made in the US now, uh, along with the along with the the um, the film. Um, but it caused a nightmare for Tetanol. They they did have a hard time when that changeover happened. They got cut short without stock, and and I remember we waited weeks for some. For we wanted a thirty-inch roll of metallic paper, Kodak Endura metallic, and 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 they, they couldn't get it. I think it was about a year ago. It was at the it was they were waiting for that. In fact, they just had it in the first shipment after. After, with the paper from the states came in February 2017. Yeah. Anyway, there we go. 
every every little thing is a is a huge insight into the the way the industry works right okay uh yeah. next on next uh next to mention uh friend of the show martin smith known to some of you on twitter as at western 30 um and also uh more recently as uh at photo walk me um he uh, got in touch the other day and said um please sunnies could you actually uh well could you mention the photowalk.me uh, website so there they go there's a mention go to photowalk.me to learn about photo walks and three particular photo walks that are currently uh listed on martin's new website um one of which i suspect i'm going to but uh, and we've got quite a good geographical spread well a geographical spread of england i suppose <laughs> sorry nothing nothing quite as far north as as north of inverness i'm i'm afraid but uh, uh we have uh, on the 2nd of april uh, uh, a photo walk in newcastle uh, on the 21st of april a photo walk uh, in camden in london uh, one of my favorite places to take photographs actually walking around camden especially camden market uh and uh then on the 26th of may in liverpool uh, which I'm sure is uh, one that Rachel will be very interested to. And I've got a feeling that might be uh, one that Rachel is, has already mentioned on the show, uh, which might be run by Stig. I'm not entirely sure if I've got that correct, though. So forgive me if I haven't. Uh, yes, that's right. Yes, it is. It's Stig that's running that one. Share some message out in the week. Ah, excellent. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, uh, yes, please, uh, everybody, uh, sign up for, for those. Uh, I most likely will be at the london one and that i did that uh martin organized a walk with sandeep last year which i went on and we all had a cracking day out so uh we'll uh, hopefully get a chance to do that again this year uh right what's next on our list Ooh, ah yeah we're going to the photography show Yes, we are going to the photography show, which is not actually very far away now. Um, that's on March the 18th. So we're going to be there on Sunday, March the 18th. And we kind of have a rough plan of what we're going to do. So if you're still umming and ahhing and thinking, well, I don't know if I can be bored to go all the way because there's really very little of interest for analog photographers there who aren't into you know, flashlights and stuff like that, which I know you are more into that stuff, eh? but for um, people like me who don't give two snots, there's really very little there. And um, we've already, you know, dragged Matt over the coals for not being there represented with um, AG. But anyway, so our plan is we're going to meet up. Probably our plan is to meet up around 11 o'clock. Um, I think Rachel's going to be a little bit late to get in, but around 11 o'clock, we'll spend a couple of hours, maybe two, three hours mooching around the show. And then because we're only a short train ride from the centre of Birmingham, we're just going to hop on the train, go into Birmingham, take some pictures, go to some pubs, um, and then pootle on back to the NEC when we're done. Um, so that's the plan. So it's going to be a sort of combined meet-up, have a look around the show, and then when we're bored with that, which will be about five minutes for me, go into Birmingham and take some pictures and have some fun there. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, obviously, if you don't want to come to Birmingham, you don't have to. You can just stay at the show and carry on looking around. But... Um, uh, that's what our plan is anyway. So um, we'll have more details next week, knowing down. But really, that's kind of all you need to know. Um, Eleven o'clock. We'll we'll make sure we make it clear where we are and stuff like that. But I'm I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be good fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. I was really looking forward to to meeting up with a few people there on the Monday as well. But now I have to go to America for work, which is a bit of a shame. But there you go. Uh, what else is on the list? Uh, uh, some housekeeping stuff then, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
do you know what we've been saying thanks to uh chris gillock of pixelated photographer pretty much every show since we first started uh chris is an awesome guy friend of ours uh, uh a welshman exiled in tokyo um and he is uh, you know he has hosted our show forever literally forever since we started <laughs> Um, free of charge free, well yes to us. In, in, indeed yes uh so um we uh we spoke with chris recently and uh we are going to be moving the show moving the show away from the pixelated photographer uh website and hosting uh chris has other plans for for that kind of stuff um and uh, we are very very grateful to chris um but we are going to be moving the show uh now you as listeners shouldn't notice anything because we have a way where we can migrate the show to elsewhere and not worry about the feed being broken but the reason i'm mentioning this right now is that uh, depending on how you get this show um, uh, uh, there are some edge cases that we may not know about and haven't planned for uh, there may be some uh, some trickiness so um, if you are and this is a really foolish bit about this announcement if you have missed the show this week and you haven't received it <laughs> for whatever reasons uh, please go back to where you got the show from and search again for Sunny 16 and uh, we will uh we will be there uh, we are not going away we are not having a gap in our publishing we are just moving some technology things around in the background i guess this message really is uh for those of you who might hear stuff on the internet about people who've lost track of the show and could uh, help them out um so if you do hear anything from people who can't f having trouble finding the show please let them know uh, that they should be able to find it at the very least where they uh, at itunes uh, uh but pretty much where they found it from in the first place just under a different feed so a little public service announcement there have you got anything else left graham on the list um the two well the couple of things i mentioned first off just on the subject of chris um yeah one huge thanks for just following what you're saying for putting up with our nonsense and helping out when we broke stuff and i'm uh, paying for everything thanks very much for paying for everything for the last <laughs> two years we really appreciate that very much um uh, the other thing is this week chris put out uh he's he has not been had the time to do anything really creative over the last few years and chris is a fantastic photographer and a very talented creative person all around and this week he put out his first vlog he's gonna he's decided he's gonna turn his hand for, to vlogging um He's at Crazy Fruit Bat on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, find him there. And he put a, a, a great um, video of a trip to um, the great big uh, camera tech store in, oh, God, what's the name of that it's, place? It's uh, called something like Yodobashi, but I'm not entirely sure if I've got that right. It's good enough for me. I'm not going to do any better. Um, it's really good, really well put together. Chris is a, a very entertaining, very engaging ginger Welsh person to watch. Um, so please do check that out. And I'm really hoping that he does more of those. Uh, the other two things. Um, first off, eh, we were talking about crowdfunding and, and how that's such a useful thing earlier. Our very good friend and um, full-time bumbler Hamish Gill off of 35MMC has today launched a Patreon account um, to help him raise funds to keep 35MMC 
going and growing and improving um and if you like what hamish does and think it's worth supporting then go and find him on patreon at 35 mmc and you know chuck him a few quid well i look at it is it's like buying him a beer a month you know at the very least and if you pay a bit more it says you get to go onto a super secret facebook page and bully him i mean (laughs) how much money would you pay to bully hamish almost any amount i think is worthwhile um and finally the one thing we wanted to mention was just the fact that um Rach is super, super busy at the moment. So she's going to be on the show a little bit less often. She's hopefully going to jump on when she can. Um, she's certainly going to be with us at the meetup uh, in Birmingham. Um, but yeah, if you don't hear her quite so much, it's because she's super, super busy. So get on Twitter and Instagram and send her supportive messages because I think she'll appreciate them at the moment. I think I think she will. I mean, you know, uh, in our back channel communications, I don't know that she's in the same part of the country for three days on the trot at the moment, is she? She seems to be uh, one end of the country one day and then the other end of the country in the same week. And how she manages it, I have no idea. Um, but uh, yes, Rach uh, will be with us as often as she can. And I'd like to say thank you to all the listeners who uh, gave us some wonderful positive feedback on last week's uh show uh which are we still going with the title of women of film i'm not entirely sure if that's right no no it? we're not we, we are going so and we're going to apparently give full credit for this uh to um rachel's partner um who came up with the great name under under no wait hang on a second underdeveloped no that's not it is it underexposed <laughs> that's it oh boy uh yeah that's a minefield you ended up in there isn't it <laughs> i know i know that was that was going from bad to worse um underexposed is gonna be the title we're gonna go for going forwards from there so um that's the plan for that so yeah there will be more of those but it'll be a little while before that comes along oh there was one other thing i just wanted to let everybody out there because we have had over the last couple of weeks some really awesome emails and i know we haven't got to any today and um they didn't do any last week either but we're gonna hold all of them uh till next week i'm gonna have a real good blitz on emails next week um because next week we've got another awesome guest we've got mike gutterman joining us next week from the negative positive podcast so he's going to help us go through these emails and um it's going to be great uh but yes so that's why we haven't done any this week okay that seems sensible enough i think that brings us to the end of the show then does it I think so. (laughs) Is there anybody still left? As I'm looking at this, my recording clock has just gone over two hours. So if there's anybody left listening to this, thank you. (laughs) Matt, have you enjoyed being on the show? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I always enjoy the sound of my own voice, you know. A man after my own heart. But uh, yeah, so yeah, thanks for having me on um you know uh, it, it really you know really really appreciate it because it's enabled me to obviously plug ourselves and plug what we're doing it's it's really really great but uh, i hope hope people found it interesting um and uh uh yeah yeah um, well i certainly found fun. it interesting and thank you uh on behalf of all of us punters um thank you for continuing to serve the analog fil- uh, photography market in the uk because uh you know it, it's a great thing that you're doing Excellent. it Okay, and on that note, then... Thanks very much. Well, you're welcome. And on that note, uh, I think 
Um, uh, possibly for the last time, uh, if we manage to get this uh, lift and shift done, thank you to Chris at the Pixelated Photographer for hosting the show. Uh, you can find us uh, Sunny Sixteen Podcast BR on the internet on Instagram. Uh, you will find Graham, of course, and on Twitter you will find me. Um, we are having a an email show uh, next week, as Graham said. So please email us, uh, sunny16podcast at gmail.com. And last and never least, uh, the music that you hear and you will hear momentarily as we sign off is uh, from the album Promises I Should Have Kept by Rocha, Rachel's band. And you can get that music on Spotify, Amazon or iTunes. It has been a great pleasure to talk to you this week. As always, uh, have a good week, folks, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Oh.